Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Phil Kirpin. He is the president of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. If you don't get their newsletter, it's just really terrific. Bob McClure, Dr. Bob McClure is the CEO of the James Madison Institute, will be joining us, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life uh, by Design. It is May the 19th, and on this day in 1943, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt set a date for cross-channel landing that would become D-Day, May the 1st, 1944, That date would prove to be a bit premature as bad weather became a factor. Addressing a joint session of Congress, Churchill warned that the real danger at present was the dragging out of the war at enormous expense because of the risk that the Allies would become tired or bored or split and play in the hands of Germany and Japan. He pushed for an early and a massive attack on the underbelly of the Axis. And so, to speed things up, the British Prime Minister and the President Roosevelt set a date for a cross-channel invasion of Normandy Uh, in northern France for May the 1st, 1944, regardless of the problems presented by the invasion of Italy, which was underway. It would be carried out by 29 divisions, including a free French division, if possible. The D-Day invasion ended up taking place on June the 6th, 1944. France at the time was occupied by the armies of Nazi Germany, and the amphibious assault, co-named Operation Overlord, landed some 156,000 Allied soldiers on the beaches of Normandy by the end of the day. Despite their success, some 4,000 Allied troops were killed by the German soldiers defending the beaches. At the time, the D-Day invasion was the largest naval, air, and land operation in history, and within a few days, about 326,000 troops, more than 50,000 vehicles, and some 100,000 tons of equipment had landed. By August 1944, all of northern France had been liberated. In the spring of 1945, the Allies had defeated the Germans. Historians often refer to D-Day as the beginning of the end of World War II. A fascinating story. And unbelievable heroism of uh, those soldiers that participated in D-Day. Excuse me. U.S. stocks closed higher Thursday on mounting optimism that the U.S. debt ceiling deal could be reached within days. The benchmark S&P 500 index rebounded from early declines on news that top U.S. Congressional Republican Kevin McCarthy said a deal to raise or suspend the debt ceiling could potentially be reached in time to hold a House vote next week. On Wednesday, President Joe Biden and McCarthy reiterated their aim to strike a deal soon to raise the $31.4 trillion federal debt ceiling and agreed to talk as soon as Sunday. Both said that that uh, uh, allowing the debt ceiling or allowing the debt to uh, default would uh, was not an option. So I think that was reassuring to the markets. Republicans are putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to holding President Joe Biden and his cabinet accountable. On Thursday morning, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene Uh, announced that she was filing articles of impeachment against the president, but he's not the only one. She also filed impeachment articles against FBI Director Christopher Wray, Attorney General Merrick Garland, Department of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, and U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves as part of what she's calling an impeachment week. During a press conference, the congresswoman referred to the Biden administration as America last and argued that it would be <clears throat> been working since January the 20th, 2021, to systematically destroy this country, uh, specifically when it comes to how uh, he's handling the border and illegal immigration. <clears throat> Excuse me. Joe Biden has uh, deliberately compromised our national security by refusing to enforce immigration laws to secure our border. 
allowed approximately 6 million illegals from over 170 countries to invade our country, deprived Border Patrol of necessary resources and policies sufficient to protect our country, she explained, and then uh, his administration has willfully refused to maintain operational control as required by law. She went on to mention that certain concerns with fentanyl, which she acknowledged was the number one killer of uh, kids between the ages of 18 and 45, or people between that age, to overwhelmingly flood into the country and kill around 300 Americans every single day. She also referenced how his administration has lost complete contact with approximately 85,000 unaccompanied illegal alien children, and his policies have forced tens of thousands of illegal children into slave labor, wondering, where are these kids? MTG went on to also mention how Biden reinstating catch and release policies was catastrophic and disastrous and how they had allowed illegal to, illegals to flood our country and our communities. Mayorkas' role in having illegal granted mass parole to aliens when U.S. law specifically says only permits uh, to are granted on a specific case-by-case basis. She spoke about the hypocrisy on the health measures and vaccine mandates. Biden endangered the lives of Americans by allowing illegal aliens who had been tested positive for COVID-19 to enter our country, and in fact, American citizens, yeah, while enforcing strict COVID policies on U.S. citizens. His policies, directives, and statements surrounding the southern border have violated our laws and destroyed our country. Biden has blatantly violated his constitutional duty and he's a direct threat to our national security, she stressed. Therefore, Joseph Robinette Biden is unfit to serve as the president of the United States and must be impeached out of the, in the real world when American taxpayers live. Employees are fired when they are corrupt or don't adequately serve their employer or purposely destroy a country, a company. In this case, the employer is the American people because they pay the salaries of everyone in the federal government, she said. Her case uh, further uh, for impeachment, she pointed out that the Constitution outlines a very simple process to fire the corrupt policies and politicians serving in the federal government, impeachment. She went on to stress that those figures she is filing articles of impeachment for all the corrupt and all the unfit to hold office, and they must be impeached as her way to conclude impeachment week. Chatters increased about impeachment, something that the certain Republicans offered up would be a priority if they took back the control of the House. There's been a particular interest in impeaching Mayorkas, including from MTG. Uh, who has previously signed on articles of impeachment against the Department of Health and Human Services Secretary uh, Mayorkas and has since repeated those calls. Biden is currently attending the G7 summit in Japan, though he's cut his trip short for debt ceiling negotiations. Uh, MTG also subtly doubled down on the need to impeach Ray as she tweeted out footage from a hearing held by Subcommittee of Weaponization of the Federal Government on Thursday morning. So uh, it's on one sense you think, well, this is kind of a sophomore uh, uh, congressperson. Why is she doing that? But I think this is exactly what's needed. Uh, We need to purge uh, the country of these people who are just absolutely working to destroy the country. And uh, there's more and more evidence is showing that Ray, well, in fact, we're going to be talking about this in just a moment, uh, is... uh, subverting the United States government and uh, not and using the FBI as a tool for politics. Republican Florida Representative Anna Paulina Luna introduced a resolution Wednesday that would remove Democrat California Republican Adam or Representative Adam Schiff from the US House of Representatives. The Daily Caller first obtained a copy of the resolution, which cites the Durham report as a reason for the congressman, congresswoman believes Schiff should no longer serve in Congress. Adam Schiff lied to the American people. He used his position on the House Intelligence Committee, in fact, he was the chairman of it, to lie that cost American taxpayers millions of dollars and abused the trust placed in him as chairman. He is a dishonor to the House of Representatives. Uh, she said in a statement, and it's true. Of course, if if you were to expel every congresswoman and man that lied in Congress, there'd probably be very few left. But irrespective, his lies were over the top, and I think this uh, censure is warranted. Now, here's a story that is just appalling. I'm going to go through some of the details because it puts some flesh on the bone for uh, the abuse 
in the FBI. FBI whistleblower Garrett O'Boyle, one of the three testifying before the House Subcommittee on the Weaponization of Federal Government Thursday, had a warning for any of his former colleagues who may be thinking about testifying against the agency. Don't do it, he said. The FBI will crush you, O'Boyle warned. When committee member uh, Representative Kelly Armstrong asked him what he'd uh, advise, the government will crush you and your family if you try to expose the truth about the things they are doing that are wrong, and we are examples of that, he said. O'Boyle said that he would uh, tell colleagues that he would take their complaints to Congress for them or put them in touch with Congress, but I would advise them not to do it. He admitted that not testifying would not solve the issues with the FBI or shine light on corruption, but based on his experience, he'd still urge them to turn away. O'Boyle's words came at the end of the lengthy, often heated uh, uh, hearing in which he joined two other FBI whistleblowers, Stephen Friend and Marcus Allen, to testify about the retribution they experienced for coming forward with statements on several issues. This included the investigation into the January 6, 2021 protests at the Capitol, the investigations of parents speaking out at school board meetings, and other instances that the Republicans on the committee say should uh, show the weaponization of the government against the American people. If O'Boyle's case, he told the, in his case, he told the committee that he was forced to rely on charity after the FBI moved him and his family from Kansas to Virginia, but soon ended his assignment. He claimed the Bureau blocked him for six weeks from getting his family's special personal property back. Chairman Jordan asked all three men for their reactions to the FBI's activities against them and all insisted they had followed the oaths that they had taken when they were, went to work for the agency. They agreed with Jordan that they felt the full weight of the federal government come down on them, particularly when the FBI sent a letter to members of Congress to the committee to inform them that the agent's security clearances had been revoked. Of course, they timed it perfectly, said Jordan. It was the letter to us yesterday. We knew they would. We knew it was going to uh, happen this way. They also testified that their former colleagues had not reached out to them to support them after they found themselves put out. I know for a fact that my former supervisor had a meeting with my squad shortly after it was suspended, and he told them that I was going to be arrested, fired, and charged. So if that's not chilling, I don't know what is, said O'Boyle. Friend agreed, commenting that those who have reached out to him have used encrypted ways to do it because they fear retribution. Allen added that he's been ghosted by everybody. <clears throat> Earlier in the hearing, Allen testified he was targeted based on unsubstantiated accusations that I hold conspiratorial views regarding the events of January the 6th, and I allegedly sympathize with criminal conduct. I do not, he said. O'Boyle said the actions against him came after his testimony in another proceeding that the FBI prioritized investigations of anti-abortion activity after Dobbs v. Jackson. He said Thursday he was forced to accept a new position in another state and that the FBI ordered him to report when his family's youngest child was only two weeks old. Friend, meanwhile, said he had a, a filed a complaint with the Office of Special Counsel saying he was suspended after he raised concerns about the FBI's manipulation of crime statistics and the treatment of January 6th defendants. <clears throat> the FBI weaponized the security clearance process to facilitate my removal from active duty within one month of my disclosures, he said. It's just uh, amazing and just uh, criminal, I think. And that's the reason I want to go through some of this stuff is because it's obvious that this is retribution and the uh, FBI has been weaponized not only against Americans but also against employees that don't cooperate and don't fall in line with uh, the company point of view. Uh, So sad to see. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples, the longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harton show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. <clears throat> Excuse me, please. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin, the president of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. Uh, We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. Certainly seeing more and more of that these days. It's a big, oh, wow. it's a big and growing market. Uh, so, William, you've been bringing us up to date with uh, what's happening on Capitol Hill on a weekly basis. Let's start off with the debt ceiling talks. I guess the markets are, concer- in, are encouraged by what's going on. Well, yes. So the principles to these negotiations, they struck an optimistic tone. That's the latest news um, with the White House uh, indicating, uh, I guess, this morning that they're making steady progress towards a deal, and Speaker McCarthy uh, saying that he can see a path mm. um, to an agreement. And uh, so I guess turning to the scorecard, there's four areas of negotiation, um, clawing back COVID funds, unspent COVID funds, and uh, evidently the sides are between clawing back $30 billion and $60 billion. Um, the extent to which they're going to cut red tape on energy permitting, so this is an area evidently of agreement between the two sides. Mm. Um, the length of spending caps, and this is the big one. So the GOP is, is pushing for 10 years of uh, spending caps. The White House is pushing for two years. Um, and then the final one, uh, and again, this is sort of an, uh, evidently, reportedly an area of agreement, is the extent of work requirements for welfare and food stamps. Um, and, and again, Biden on uh, Tuesday, I believe, uh, signaled, signaled uh, his openness to this issue and noted that as a senator, he had uh, voted for such work requirements. Um, uh, so across the board, you'll note that the White House has given ground, yeah. um, which is a far cry from their no negotiation stance. Um, and that engendered a reaction from progressives this week on Capitol Hill. So we had the 100-member, 100-odd-member uh, Progressive Caucus in the House sent a stern warning to the president not to, quote-unquote, cave. And then 10 Senate Democrats, and that's about 20% of the Senate Democrat Caucus, 
um, sent a, a letter to the president saying he shouldn't cave and then demanding that he invoke the 14th Amendment. Wow. Uh, which, you know, that wacky idea we spoke about last week. And uh, as an aside, I'll note it's pretty bizarre for you know 20% of the Senate Democrat caucus to demand that the president run roughshod over Congress. I mean, that's a, a weird posture from, a, I guess, a power and self-interest perspective. But, yeah. Where did the um, other 80% stand? Yeah. <laughs> well, shoot, um, I, I would hope uh, that they would have a more reasonable take upon executive power and, indeed, institutional pride in, in Congress. Yeah. Um, but uh, thankfully, they didn't sign on to the letter. Uh, uh, on the, the clock is ticking. So to get anything through the Senate takes about a week. And uh, the, the, quote, X date, uh, which is uh, the colloquial term on Capitol Hill for when the, we would reach the 31.4 debt ceiling, um, that could come as soon as June 1st. So mm. it's uh, an agreement. Uh, uh, well, if an agreement is not reached soon, then we're, we're coming to serious crunch time. Yeah, exactly. By the way, the work requirements, I don't understand why that's a big deal. This is basically the work requirements of our four able-bodied single people without dependents that would have work requirements to either be looking for work or working in order to receive benefits. So why, why is that a problem? It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, that's certainly not my area of uh, expertise, welfare, but um, it does make a lot of sense to me, and, and, you know, again, the president voted for this before, so um, one wonders, what, has he gone so far to the left that he can't countenance ideas that he used to support? Yeah. Um, so it does seem as though the GOP has a winning political hand. Absolutely. So, uh, and apparently uh, Congress is considering canceling uh, the May recess. Oh, well, shoot. I mean, uh, I'll, uh, here I'll note that Congress... Their schedule is, uh, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but is a joke. I mean, they only work about 40% of the, they're only in session about 40% of the actual work days of the year. So, yes, it, it may be a pity that they'll have to schedule, you know, cancel their late May recess, but uh, um, uh, uh, <laughs> such is life sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So before I let you go, William, I'd love to get your comments on the Durham report. <laughs> wow. So this is a big deal. It confirms a lot of what we've already discussed, a lot of what we already know. Um, and regardless of how one feels about Trump, the fact is that an incumbent president who was a Democrat opened a cross-agency FBI investigation yeah. of the Republican who was then running. And, and that's sort of the, you know, for the bird's eye view, that's the big deal. That is just a, tr a gross abuse of discretion and, and indeed power. Um, so that's my take. I mean, it's just very disturbing that this happened in the United States of America. Yeah, and, and apparently there was four criminal inquiries into Hillary Clinton's behavior, four that were canceled uh, while this continued. So to me, it just demonstrates, I think, the uh, two justice systems. When you have two systems of justice, you have no justice, actually. It, you know, I, I don't think that's hyperbolic. I mean, that... It, the facts would seem to bear that out, that indeed they were in the bag for one side, or they were certainly in the bag against one side. Yeah, absolutely. William Aitman, again, a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation, doing terrific work uh, in uh, for protecting our interests. You can find out more by visiting the website pacificlegal.org, pacificlegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Phil Kirpin. He is the president of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratuscale Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to revisit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us uh, Phil Kirpin. He is the president of the committee to Unleash Prosperity. Phil, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Thank you, Phil. Tell us about the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Yeah, this is sort of the, uh, sort of the supergroup of supply-siders. It was founded by Steve Moore, <coughs> Art Laffer, Steve Forbes, and Larry Kudlow. And it was originally founded in the 2016 presidential cycle to basically uh, counsel all of the Republican presidential candidates on tax reform and supply side more generally and uh, helped write all of the candidates' tax reform plans, including the Trump one that was ultimately enacted. And uh, when Larry Kudlow went into the Trump administration, uh, Steve Moore and Steve Forbes asked me to come on board and try to fill his spot, which is impossible, but I do my best. And uh, the, the main things we do now, we still... We still sometimes do dinners with politicians and so forth, but I would say the main thing is our free daily newsletter that people can sign up for at CommittedUnleashedProsperity.com, as well as various uh, research papers on you know economic issues uh, that are you know published from time to time, and everything's on that website, CommittedUnleashedProsperity.com. Very good, Phil. And I, I want to just tell our audience, I get the newsletter. I look forward to it every day. It's one of the things that I really look forward to getting uh, the opinion of uh, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity on so many different issues. So uh, you wrote a piece uh, in the New York Post, uh, School Closures Brought the Worst Self-Inflicted COVID Harm. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, well, when we hit sort of the three-year mark, um, and then subsequently even even Biden admitted that the pandemic was over and ended the uh, public emergency and the public health emergency, and, you know, his hands were forced a little bit by Congress actually passing a bill, which uh, was was interesting and uh, was kind of good to see. Uh, it's sort of natural to say, all right, well, what what would what do we learn? Yeah. What do we what did we get uh, catastrophically wrong? I guess is uh, one of the questions that comes to mind. And I think that by far the biggest mistake, and I don't even think this is close, uh, was the prolonged school closures. And I think that we're going to be dealing with the consequences of that um, economically as well as socially and uh, the educational consequences for those kids and, uh, and for decades, for, for, the, for basically for the lifetime of the cohort that was affected. And, of course, the tragedy of that, you know, the, the, the compounded tragedy of that is that there was no benefit, none, um, because essentially 100% of kids ended up getting COVID anyway. And yeah. so there was literally no benefit, and yet uh, the disruption of kids' lives was enormous. And, you know, in some places... Kids missed an entire year of school, and that had an entire additional year of disruption, of ab- abnormal school with masks and silent lunch and, uh, and one-way hallways, and all, et cetera, et cetera. And so the disruption was really quite enormous, and uh, you cannot attribute it to COVID because places that didn't 
that didn't disrupt kids' lives didn't have any problems. Uh, Sweden had zero learning loss, and so it really was a policy blunder. It was not a feature of the pandemic itself, and uh, unfortunately, we're going to be dealing with the consequences for a long time. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, I was just to me appalled to see how much the school unions, teachers' unions, uh, what how much what a role they played in keeping the schools closed. Yeah, a really central role. Uh, you know, we, we were on track, I think. In June 2020, we were on track for a pretty much normal school opening that fall. Uh, we had uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out for normal full-time school openings. Uh, you had the White House pushing for it. There was actually a, uh, there was a schools forum I went to at the White House uh, early July uh, where everyone agreed. You know, and it was just a parade of experts and uh, pundits and so forth, including, by the way, you know, people like the the CDC director at the time, Robert Redfield, and Deborah Burke spoke mm-hmm. and said schools should be open. They should be pretty much normal. They should be full time. I mean, it was uh, it, it was a pretty clear consensus. And just a few days after that White House event, and maybe ten days after the American Academy of Pediatrics came out and said schools should all be open full time. Uh, they reversed in a literal joint statement with the teachers' unions. So the, the pediatricians, uh, you know, professional governing body put out a joint statement with the teachers' unions that said, you know, basically ignore all the stuff we said 10 days ago about all the schools should all, how all the schools should be open if there's any COVID around. And, of course, there was COVID around everywhere. And right. so they, they said this was a total 180-degree reversal, and uh, the fact that they did it jointly with the teachers' union, I found pretty remarkable. And, of course, you know, that seeded a lot of doubt among parents in a lot of places because now instead of the pediatrician saying, you know, school is safe, your kid should be there, you have the pediatrician saying, hey, maybe the school should be closed yeah. uh, if there's COVID around. And so that, I think, was sort of the pivotal moment when things went off the rails. And, of course, uh, you know, there have been a number of studies that looked at the places that schools had prolonged closures versus very short closures, and the, the number one factor, the number one explanatory factor, had nothing to do with how much COVID was around. The number one explanatory factor was how much teachers' union power there was. The places where unions were very strong, yeah. they were closed for a full year. The places where uh, the unions were uh, very, very weak, uh, Kids were back full-time that fall, and so that was the, the number one factor was the teachers' unions. And, of course, you know, after Biden was elected, the sort of the conventional wisdom was, okay, they beat Trump, they're going to let all the kids back in school now. And uh, there was a lot of anticipation around the first CDC schools guidance uh, under the Biden administration because a lot of people thought that they were going to sort of call off the dogs and uh, the blue, place, blue cities and so forth were all going to come back to school because the CDC was going to tell them to. And that didn't happen. In fact, they did the opposite. Yeah. Uh, the first Biden school closure actually called for more closures. And it called for, it said, if you're in the red area, you should cancel all extracurriculars and sports. And then they had a map. Uh, Bob, the entire country was red. That's what that, yeah. that's what that guidance had. And we later found out that guidance was largely dictated by the teachers' unions, that they, they actually told the CDC what to put in that. And they did that because they were trying to get another $150 billion from taxpayers. Uh, and yeah. you know, they were saying, oh, we can't open the schools unless you spend $150 billion. By the way, almost none of which would be spent that year. It was a 10-year spend-out that they right. got in the CARES Act. And so uh, they, they went and, and raided the U.S. Treasury and held kids hostage for another couple of months in those places where they had power, uh, which, which was really outrageous. It was indeed. I must say, though, that if there's a, something good that came out of all that, it is the fact that the, it ignited, I think, the uh, school choice movement across the United States. And I think it's beginning to reduce the power and the influence of uh, the teachers' unions. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think, as I said, I think that the school closures were the very worst policy mistake of the whole pandemic era. But I think that the uh, the silver lining from them, which is that uh, we've had more progress on school choice in the last year than we had in the last couple of decades, I would say. I mean, yeah. I, I think there's seven states that passed pretty substantial school choice expansions, including your own state of Florida in, in this current session. And uh, you know, we've got pretty, you know, Florida's essentially universal now, Indiana's essentially universal now, Arizona, universal, Arkansas, universal. Uh, we've got the first ever uh, South Carolina bill. It's not anywhere close to universal, but you have to start somewhere. And uh, Texas is probably going to go to a special session. they got a governor who wants to take it to the mat. And so, uh, we, you know, if we get Texas this year, you know, that's another 5 million kids. Yeah. Uh, that would be enormous. 
And so I, I agree with you. I think, you know, ultimately we're going to have a few decades from now, we're, we're going to have, unfortunately, the negative consequences of some of the kids that we weren't able to catch up uh, who had this huge setback. But, you know, we may also have the very positive consequence of a lot of kids being much better educated than they ever would have been because their parents had the choice uh, to send them to a school that fits them rather than, you know, whatever they're zoned for. And so I, I do hope that that's going to be the positive. Of course, you know, the irony of it is that the states that have been able to pass school choice by and large are not the ones that have the worst closures because they're the ones uh, that tend to be, you know, more conservative and have less union power are the ones where we've been able to pass it. But I think that, you know, as it works, Iowa also universal, forgot to mention that. I think that when we get good results from it and it works and it doesn't cause the negative consequences that the scaremongers have suggested, uh, it can only spread. And eventually, uh, it, I don't know how long it'll take, but eventually uh, we should be able to get to all 50 states. Yeah, I agree with that. And Phil, you know, the, the interesting thing is it has now created the element of competition within the public school system. So uh, schools are going to have to perform or the kids will, uh, parents are going to yank the kids out. I mean, money follows right. the kid in Florida. So that to me is extremely powerful thought. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, the public schools are going to have to pay attention to what's going on. Right. Look, most kids are going to stay in the public schools. We know that. Yeah. Obviously, the ones... Uh, <clears throat> the ones whose needs can't be met there and their parents can find something and they are going to leave. But, you know, what, what choice and competition will do uh, is improve everyone. It will lift all boats, especially uh, the public schools, which no longer have a monopoly, are really going to have to do a better job. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more uh, that the public schools will benefit. This idea that they're going to be drained of resources and they're going to fail, it's a nonsense idea. That yeah. is not what we will see. And, uh, you know, I hope that we'll have some really good results in a couple of years we'll be able to point to and, and uh, you know, keep this going and, and uh, spread to more states. Phil Kirpin, again, the president of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. I hope you check out the website and get a copy of the newsletter. It's just really informative. It comes out uh, daily, and sometimes I think on the weekend as well. The uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com, is it? Yep, that's it. All right, Phil, hey, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, have a good one. You Bye. as well, thank you. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Dr. Bob McClure. He is the CEO of the James Madison Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to remind you that Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., Lulubee's Diner in the Greek Tree Shopping Center is serving not only great breakfast and lunch, but also dinner as well. I hope you'll stop by for a great informal, informal dining experience. The Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Dr. Bob McClure. He is the CEO of the James Madison Institute. Uh, Dr. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, sir. My pleasure indeed. Tell us about the James Madison Institute. Well, the James Madison Institute is a free market think tank, Bob. And really, that simply means that we're in the business of ideas. Um, JMI has a set of principles and really believes in the mission of uh, limited government, uh, free enterprise, and the protection of private property. And we're based in Tallahassee because we have to make sure there's no trouble going on there with the legislature and and in the executive branch, as as with all forms of government. But JMI has been around since 1987, and we have uh, focused on advancing economic freedom. Yeah, uh, We don't focus on the Second Amendment. We don't deal with social issues. There are a lot of other organizations that do those kinds of things. But JMI's job is to focus on economic freedom and prosperity for all Floridians, regardless of their station in life. Absolutely. JMI.org is the website, and I highly recommend it. I always consider, when I have a question about what's going on in Florida, I can always count on getting great information from the James Madison Institute. So I, I wanted to uh, talk to you about today about uh, the le- last legislative session. It was almost like taking a drink out of a fire hose to see all the legislation that was coming out and passed. But what are your thoughts? You know, Bob, and it's it's jamesmadison.org, not jmi.org. Oh, is it? Thank you. Th- thank That's you. Okay. That's okay. That's all right. All right. Um, you know, Bob, the this most recent legislative session here in Florida is probably the most historic in a good way, and we rarely hear that coming out of either Washington, D.C. or state capitals around the country. Probably the most historic uh, in Florida's history hmm. and maybe in the nation's history. You think about what was passed by the leadership here. You had universal school choice, which allows simply the money to follow the child so that parents and grandparents can choose the best school for their children and grandchildren. You had tort reform, which was a huge issue here in Florida, as great as Florida is uh, as a place to live, work, and raise a family. Uh, The trial bar... um, uh, was a de facto tax on all Floridians. Yeah. So you had tort reform, universal school choice. You had the eradication of ESG, which is the use of a social credit score uh, to either l- possibly lend money from a bank to an individual, but more importantly, to in, uh, handle investments uh, in the state pension Fund, which is the third largest in the country. So you had the eradication of left-wing woke politics, uh, shorthand called ESG, uh, in investing. You had the eradication of diversity, equity, and inclusion in higher ed, uh, which was a huge issue. Uh, you had the passage of uh, the Health Freedom Act, which says that if you choose not to get vaccinated, uh, and there are a number of other things in there. You can't lose your job. And vaccinated meaning, you know, what we went through with the pandemic. And so really in Florida, we kind of drew an inside straight and got so much done here in the state. Florida continues to lead the nation as an example of freedom and liberty across the country. Yeah, I just I can't speak highly enough about the uh uh, the medical uh, laws that were passed, I felt so intimidated by and closed in by what was happening during the pandemic and how uh, medical professionals and everybody was being treated. And uh, quite frankly, it was just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Bob McClure, again, would you could you comment on uh, the litigation aspect of this? And uh, I mean, I know that uh, we have a, a huge percentage of the litigation that goes on across the nation here in Florida. Have we really taken good steps to alleviate that? We really have. You know, Bob, for years um, here in Florida, uh, even the Wall Street Journal, given, you know, we, we, we tout the state of Florida mm-hmm. as 
you know, the finest and best and most free state in the country and the greatest place to live. And Floridians are very proud of that, and we should be. But we had two major issues here in this state that threatened uh, the, those freedoms. One was property insurance, and that was, they, they um, have begun to address that. There will be more that needs to be done down the road. The other was the trial bar. Mm-hmm. And what happened was is that we, the Wall Street Journal, labeled Florida a judicial hellhole. And what that means is it was too easy and too simple for trial lawyers to bring suit against small businesses or corporations uh, or insurance companies. And what you saw was that small businesses, insurance companies, and corporations were choosing just to settle and not go to court. Mm-hmm. And, and so they were paying out these you know, these astronomical sums. And so it became a de facto tax, Bob, on every Floridian. It was to the tune, Florida Chamber, I think, calculated it to be nearly $3,000 a year, a de facto tax because of the trial lawyers. Well, we at the legislature and at the James Madison Institute have been working on this for 20 years, trying to get tort reform. And it eliminated things like... uh, um, one-way attorney's fees. Uh, it eliminated things like uh, force multipliers where where under certain conditions the attorney could double and triple his or her fees. It eliminated um, the the idea of if, if the uh, plaintiff was more than 50% at fault and not the corporation or the small business, that they couldn't bring suit. So or, or that, that they couldn't win the suit. And so what you find is it has put into place some curbs and some guardrails for the excesses that we see. There's a reason when you drive up and down I-75 and I-95 on the East Coast, there's a reason why every city bus has a trial bar firm advertisement uh, on it. And yeah. it's because they were making millions of dollars, and the legislature did not do away they did not do away with the ability of a person who's truly been injured or been hurt by a business to uh, get get redress. They have not done away with that. But what they have done is put some curbs and some guardrails in place to curb these excess abuses. Yeah, that's just uh, really terrific. And so many other laws as well. I just uh, refer you to jamesmadison.org, jamesmadison.org, to find out more about the laws that have been passed. Uh, Dr. Bob McClure, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of about a dozen books, all terrific. I've read most of them. Uh, the latest is Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design by Larry Bell. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Um, I enjoy it so much. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. So you wrote a piece in Newsmax. It's your uh, column. You usually write two or three columns a week. It's called uh, On Point. The latest is No Arguing with Evidence Turning Tables in Trump's Favor. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, we're we're seeing now the results of, uh, of course, the Durham report, and uh, it's just pretty ugly, and and uh, you know it's not getting the, the amount of coverage it should in the in the in the media, which is no surprise after they uh, banged the drums on this, you know, so long. Right. And of course, it was the it was the uh, Russian collusion uh, delusion that was. Uh, really cooked up by Hillary and her, you know, she had her 30,000 emails she deleted and bleach bitted and whatever. We learned some new words during the course of that. And, uh, and so that was, uh, was a huge, huge, uh, fraud really. And the FBI was all too eager to, uh, cooperate with it. And Peter Strzok and James Comey and so on. There's a good article in Wall Street Journal this morning, Kimberly Strassel wrote about uh, particularly Strzok and Comey's involvement in that. But but then we think back of all the other uh, attacks. You know, there was an impeachment one and over the Ukraine uh, conversation. And, of course, this is at a time when uh, Trump had then just come into the presidency after, you know, after uh, you know, all the... the uh, Attempts to you know, to prevent that from happening by by, the, by Peter Strzok and, and Lisa Page and others in the in the so-called deep state, which is probably deeper and uglier than we thought. Um, so there was an impeachment one that that was over the uh, uh, Trump had the temerity to ask the incoming. Uh, President Zelensky about uh, this this corruption involving the most particularly Burisma, the uh, mm-hmm. energy company in Ukraine that was that was under investigation there, and he's and then Biden had pu- publicly said that uh, well unless you unless you find a prosecutor uh, then you're not getting a billion dollars in USA that that we promised you. And you know the time that was the time when Hunter was serving on the board when no show uh, board seat and getting a million dollars a year. Uh, even the, even the State Department was concerned about you know the irony of your we're talking about corruption fighting corruption in Ukraine mm-hmm. and the and the president's son seems to be on the take. He didn't quite use those words, but that was the clear implication that it was very awkward. And then, of course, impeachment two and the kangaroo court of against Trump with no cross-examination of witnesses and and um, statements taken out of context and omitted and so on. That was a you know really ugly day in terms of revealing kind of criminal justice system and congressional investigation systems we have today that 
that it would make a banana republic uh, blush with, with uh, you know, uh, you know, the the, the transparent uh, uh, duplicity of that right. two-tiered system, and then on and on, uh, you know, the the uh, Durham report exposes this quite dramatically. And of course, it's very belated. Uh, uh, we we go on and on about well, Trump claims that the 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 election was rigged. Well, and even you know, Wall Street Journal nobody nobody hates Trump more than Wall Street Journal does. Yeah, and every every article that mentions Trump, you have to have this obligatory statement that that he lied about the the election being stolen. Well, well, when when you consider that you've got 51 foreign spooks, you know, or former spooks, that signed a letter yeah. claiming that the laptop had no legitimacy. You're pretty much saying that. And uh, you have this, you know, this kind of uh, uh, withholding of, of information on the laptop and and so on. It's that, and, and even a lot of Democrats, a significant number of Democrats, so they they knew nothing about it and it would have affected their voting for Biden. So, yes, it was rigged. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, all of this, I think, is gradually coming out. And the big question is, will the public, you know, the, the, the media, of course, was complicit in this. Will they begin reporting it? And and you can bet now with the House Oversight Committee and Judiciary Committee looking into some of these things, they've had that information for a very long time now. And in, the, in we have most recently these whistleblowers coming out, one from the IRS that said that, you know, Hunter's uh, tax returns and that all that stuff that was that was being investigated by the IRS based on suspicious activity reports, including Joe's, Joe's brother, uh, that... Uh, that wasn't being handled objectively, and uh, and so now the DOJ, Department of Justice under Garland, uh, is 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 uh, giving that a pass, and apparently they they removed that whole investigation team. Yeah, that's questioning the the president's son. So I mean, this is really, really terribly ugly stuff, and 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 the, and the million dollar question is. When will the public wake up, and when will the when will the media have to start reporting this stuff? And uh, it's it's a it's, it's a terrifying time. It is indeed. You know, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene has uh, filed these cases uh, of impeachment, articles of impeachment against several people, including the President of the United States. Quite frankly, I think it's justified. I think this is the one way that we can address these issues, at least bring some attention to them. I mean, to me, it was appalling. I heard this morning that. Uh, uh, the uh, IR, or I should say, the FBI dropped four criminal investigations into Hillary Clinton during that period of time. If you can, believe, that's just incredible. Why did that happen? Well, it happened because of a uh, Democrat influence on the FBI. And the well, Department- it happened because yeah, the people on the so many of these people they're on the seventh floor of the FBI. They're not the rank and file, and and but it's a, it's unfortunate it's the top, and it's also the top of CIA. That you know they 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 have political ambitions. Yeah. And when Hillary came in, you know they expected Hillary to come in. It meant there it meant promotions for some of them, and or at least at least continuation of their jobs. If uh, if Trump came in, you know Katie barred the door because you know he was gonna he's gonna really clean house. Um, most particularly, he will now when he comes in because all this stuff is becoming so. Uh, Transparently obvious to everybody. Yeah. Everybody's paying attention. So uh, there, you know, this political ambitions and rancor and and uh, you know, it's it's and, and and these are the agencies we trust to protect us. Yeah. 
They're attacking us. It's it's unbelievable. Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, his latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Also check out On Point, his column in Newsmax.com. Professor, wish we had more time. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, on Monday, we're going to visit with uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed, a president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.